Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. Austin is adapting to and building the future in real time. I'm Michael Scharf. We are exploring and driving our transformation into the next innovation powerhouse. I'm Jason Scharf. I'm a bio-researcher at UT to the assembly line worker at Tesla, from the musician on 6th Street to the coder at Dell. And with the founders, funders, and early employees of the next great startup, we are all Austin Next. common plank in ecosystem development is having a strong research-focused university, churning out discoveries and intellectual property that can then be spun out or licensed into the private sector. In Austin, we have one such university with UT Austin, but that movement of technology from academia to industry is not magic. Tech transfer organizations sit at the crux of this bridge, trying to balance the needs of the university with the needs of their startup and corporate partners. Today, we have on Les Nichols, Director of the Office of Technology Commercialization, or OTC, for UT Austin. Talk about how this is done, the challenges they face, and the role this function plays in our innovation ecosystem. In this role, Les leads a team of 25 who focus on creating value in technology developed by UT Austin researchers and who facilitate the transfer of inventions from academic research to outside organizations for the benefit of society on a local, national, and global basis. He works closely with campus research administrations to implement a strategic vision for technology transfer services that align with the university and industry research strategies. Les originally joined OTC as a licensing specialist and was later promoted to program director of physical sciences licensing. Capping a 23-year career of experience in industry, Mr. Nichols' background includes senior-level sales, variety of product and technologies to the semiconductor industry, and university research market segments. He was a principal in his own consultancy specializing in chemical plant process design and optimization, and he was integral in the development and startup of a new division of a large diversified energy company, that developed the most cost-effective means of providing high-purity chemistry to the largest semiconductor manufacturers. Les, welcome to the Austin Next Podcast. Thanks for having me, Jason. So I want to start off with the basics here. What is the role of the Office of Technology Commercialization at UT? Yes, Jason, the, the Office of Technology Commercialization is the entity responsible for managing the intellectual property owned by UT Austin. So what does that mean? That means IP that's generated from the research labs, the faculty running those research labs, their graduate students and postdocs that that work with them, and any IP that comes from utilizing the resources, basically, of the University of Texas at Austin. So all that intellectual property must be disclosed to our office, and then we help the faculty manage that. We determine whether to file a patent or not, if it's patentable. We manage it if it's software or copyrightable IP uh, and, and with the focus of uh, moving that technology into the commercial marketplace through licenses. So how do you work with internal researchers, like, you know, the developers, the IP versus the outside stakeholders, the ones who are interested in kind of that licensable products? Great question. We have staff that focus on uh, building relationships across campus. And it's one of the challenges that we have, right? There are, uh, I don't know, two to 3,000 now 
research faculty at UT Austin. You know, UT Austin is one of the preeminent research institutions in this country and really even the world. Um, great. But our challenge is touching each one of those faculty members and new ones come all the time and, you know, folks retire, et cetera. So there's this flux. So we're constantly engaging with our faculty across all of the research areas on campus to build these relationships and let, let the faculty know that we are here to help them. You know, initial concerns that faculty have uh, revolve around, well, I just came to the university so I could publish and train uh, PhD candidates, uh, et cetera, become the preeminent researcher in my field. Absolutely. We support that a thousand percent. Our focus is to understand if you've come up with something in your research that may be protectable IP, we will run our process behind the scenes without interfering with your publication, because we know you're here to publish and we want you to do that. Okay. So it's, it's constantly working with them at the same time, simultaneously, we are working to build relationships with outside entities, companies, investor types, right? People across the spectrum who can help us with providing services or mentoring. Because at the end of the day, the goal is to move the technology into the marketplace. We need relationships with entities that uh, are able to commercialize what we've come up with. Because the University of Texas is not going to build any oil field equipment, right? We need Halliburton or Schlumberger or Baker Hughes to do that part under a license, uh, revolve around, well, I just came to the university so I could publish and train uh, PhD candidates, uh, et cetera, become the preeminent researcher in my field. Absolutely. We support that a thousand percent. Our focus is to understand if you've come up with something in your research that may be protectable IP, we will run our process behind the scenes without interfering with your publication. Because we know you're here to publish and we want you to do that. Okay. So it's, it's constantly working with them. At the same time, simultaneously, we are working to build relationships with outside entities, companies, investor types, right? People across the spectrum who can help us with providing services or mentoring. Because at the end of the day, the goal is to move the technology into the marketplace. We need relationships with entities that uh, are able to commercialize what we've come up with. Because the University of Texas, is not going to build any oil field equipment, right? We need Halliburton or Schlumberger or Baker Hughes to do that part under a license, right? So are you the group that tends to bring in the Baker Hughes and the, the Halliburtons into it and say, hey, we've got, here's like menu of interesting kind of companies or, or, or sorry, um, you know, intellectual property, or does it tend to be that, you know, it hits your desk after, you know, the professor said, hey, I've talked to XYZ and we kind of had this, or obviously my, my guess is the answer is yes to all and it depends, but curious kind of how it kind of ends up working and, and where you see the, the balance. No, yeah, absolutely right, Jason. We, we see across that spectrum. So we are absolutely, as I've, as I've said, 
focused on trying to build these relationships and understand the needs of companies because there, there's a lot of value in being able to share with our research faculty. You know, if you could tweak that work that you're doing in your lab a little bit, company X, company Y would be really interested in it, right? We're not going to force you to do that, of course, but if you, if you care about commercializing, you might think about it. And then also many of the faculty, especially in some of the, some of the fields such as uh, maybe pharmacy, petroleum engineering, mechanical engineering, chemical engineering, uh, civil architectural, some of these fields have very strong relationships, these faculty with outside industry. And so a lot of times they will bring us, I spoke to so-and-so at a conference. I'm ready to disclose this invention, right? You might want to give them a call after I do that. So it, it really is across the spectrum of how we engage. And at the same time, we have a quite a strong group of uh, uh, corporate development team at the University of Texas at Austin, not related to our office at all. Really their focus being philanthropic donations to the university that come from maybe a group of alumni that work at ExxonMobil or at Shell, right? But they also work with us to give us insight into Oh, I was talking to so-and-so at Shell the other day, and they brought up that they'd be interested in something like this. So we get, you know, hints and insight from our colleagues across the, across campus. How does it kind of work in the scenario where you have these companies who are saying, we have this interesting problem, there's some alignment here. And as you said, you started with, you know, if you tweaked your, your research, this commercialization, this company would be interested. But what about the reverse where the, where the company's saying, help us solve this problem? And obviously that becomes joint IP. How does that kind of work through your office? Well, let's talk about that for a second because our office will talk. I, I want to talk about it later because you, I think it's on the list of things we want to address is what's next. So I want to save that, right? I want to save that. I don't want to, I don't want to blow my cover. But one of the offices that is engaged at UT is the Office of Industry Engagement. What they focus on, that's a group of folks who work with companies that want to sponsor research at UT. So they've somehow got engaged with a faculty member through whatever means. A lot of times they might read the latest, uh, you know, uh, nature article or publication in a, in a pre prestigious journal uh, that, and then they follow up with the faculty member that way, they engage with our industry engagement office who structures sponsored research agreements, okay? So the company can provide a scope of work. They work with the faculty member. Let's do this kind of work. The faculty member uh, outlines how much that would cost to do, how much, how long it would take, how many students they would put on it, et cetera. And then they negotiate an agreement to fund that work. Now, always in that agreement, it addresses the potential, not the obligation, but the potential for intellectual property might may come out of this work. If it does, here's what's going to happen. And it's laid out so that the company knows here's what's going to happen. And where you made that, uh, that comment about it's going to be joint IP, well, it may and it may not be. Joint IP has to do with inventorship. If the company and their research people had some inventive contribution to what comes out, then yes, it would be joint. If all the inventive contribution came from our side, even though they funded it, we own it. Okay. 
So there might be a predetermined license agreement as the sponsored uh, thing, but not necessarily um, inventorship. Correct. All this is laid out in those sponsored research agreements. Everybody is good with it. We sign off, we proceed down the path. And from a licensing standpoint on the tech transfer side, something comes out of that agreement. It's it's part of our disclosure form. We see that, we read through, we understand the ramifications. We contact the company immediately and it kind of helps us short circuit our process of going out to seek and find a potential licensee. So how do you balance the needs of the university with the needs of the groups taking this technology? Yeah, that's an awesome question because those things are frequently very, very different, right? We need the technology that is, that is disclosed to us to be, to access the marketplace, to serve uh, the markets and humanity eventually, right? Companies, a thousand percent of the time, are thinking of profitability. And that's not at all what we're thinking of. We're thinking of fundamental research, advancing science, and being the leader in those technology areas that our faculty are focused, right? So how do you match that up? It's, it's tricky, but it's possible. As long as we ensure that the other party both, both sides, our faculty as well as the company side, understand that this is the way it works. We care about certain things. They care about different things. There is a point where we overlap, and that's where we want to focus. And let's put this deal together for the benefit of both of us, right? We're, we never intend to gouge any company with excessive license fees and massive royalties because that goes against what the company's needs are. Our, our focus is getting the technology into the marketplace. So we need to structure our deals to enable the company to do that, right? So we really try to focus on, let's be transparent. Let's be open. You guys let us know what your challenges are, company, and we will try to structure our deal to help you meet those challenges because we want you to succeed. Because like I said before, the university is not going to make this product, not going to provide this service. We need you to do it. So the needs of the company vary based on size and maturity. So does a deal with, say, Apple or Pfizer look different than a small startup? Absolutely. Yes, it does. Deals with large companies. Again, the technology that is generated out of our research is almost always very early developmental stage. It's rarely at the stage of even a prototype, let alone ready to go to market. Therefore, whatever the licensee company, a large company, startup company, whatever, they need to invest time, energy, money in developing this early stage technology into something that the market will procure profitably. And so, yes, a large company has different resources that they can bring and timing around that than a startup company. And so we have to structure our agreements according to that. So what do you do in the scenario? You've got a hot piece of technology or new research and you've got multiple different kinds of suitors coming in all saying, you know, this would be great. We'd love to license this. How do you approach this situation? Yeah, good, good question. You know, it's going to be different, of course, based on the technology. 
but a lot of times, some of the ways that we approached it, just just uh, as an example, is uh, if it makes sense to do so, and and it, a lot of times it it very well does. Different interested parties are focused on different end use market opportunities. So it enables us in those cases to license with a field of use exclusivity. We can take the same technology, license company X in this field of use exclusively. Nobody else will have the rights to practice this except for you in that field. Company Y, that other field of use exclusively. Nobody else will have the right to practice in that field except for you, company Y. Okay, so we can do that to to create as much value as possible for both the licensee entities as well as for us. Other other ways to do it is to license non-exclusively to multiple parties so that everybody basically has the same uh, opportunity to move the technology forward. And we take a little piece of everybody's, you know, success, basically. So going to put you on the spot a little bit here. So let's assume the scenario is there's not this nice middle ground, either field of use differentiation or non-exclusive. How does the wishes of the researcher fit into all this? In every scenario, in every deal that we do, we, we, we want to keep the researchers in, uh, informed. However, we always try to tell them, sometimes it works better than other times, we always try to tell them that it's inevitable during our negotiations with the licensee company that they are going to try to go around us and use you against us. So beware because we are you. We, our office, we're just trying to get the deal done and at the highest value for the university. And the way that this university operates is that the inventors uh, split any revenue 50-50 with us. And so the value goes to them. The value is theirs. It's not ours. It's theirs. We're working for them. And so if you allow the company to manipulate you and try to pressure us in a way, you know, it's better for you to just say that the, the negotiations of the terms go, are, are done by the OTC, not by me. If you have a technical question, I'll answer it for you. But otherwise, leave me out of it. You know, so like I say, it's a, it's a constant uh, process of education. It works better with some than others, but it, that's the way we try to get those deals done. And, and when, when, they, when the pr- faculty do help us in that, it, it works better. So I'm going to give you a chance to kind of stand up for, uh, you know, tech transfer offices in general. There's a lot of negative reputations for university tech transfer offices, both because of speed and bureaucracy. How is it that you are evolving to kind of meet these needs? Great question. And this is, this is what I wanted to bring up now. Our OTC for the last year and a piece has now report, reports now under uh, a new associate vice president for research, the AVP of Innovation and Economic Impact. And as that entity, it not only includes OTC, but it also this Office of Industry Engagement, as I've said, does these sponsor research agreements with companies is under, under her, as is the Austin Technology Incubator, which is the UT-owned entity that helps incubate early-stage companies, uh, as is a piece of the, uh, the uh, Texas Innovation Center, which is a, a, a group on campus that is 100% focused on 
helping faculty who say they want to do a startup figure out what that really means and introduce them to potential mentors and service providers, et cetera. So our, our audience can, uh, can go back. We had Van and Ashley on a previous episode. Oh yeah. Yeah. We refer to the previous episode with Van and Ashley, two dynamo women who are doing a terrific bang up job. So we are, we are part of that, of that entity as well. So now as such, this innovation economic impact group is now reforming itself to where we are structuring to focus on trying to create um, uh, a setup that more mirrors the way companies are set up. We're going to have an intake IP focused group that focuses on the uh, disclosures coming in and the patent analysis, patentability analysis. We're going to have a business development team that focuses on the outreach to external parties, just like many companies have business development teams. And we're going to have a contracting team that focuses on the back end. Once the licensee is identified um, and the patent is all in process, then we'll structure the deals. Uh, and that industry engagement group will, will be part of that contracting team as well. Because as we just talked about, many, all of the sponsor research agreements have uh, in some uh, connection, some connection to the uh, potential for IP to come out of them. So all of that structure, that new structure is what we're putting in place as we speak to uh, better address companies and potential licensees, because you're exactly right. There is a historic bad connotation, and I really don't want to get on a soapbox about this, but uh, uh, I've been here since 2009, and so I've worked with many companies on many things. And uh, almost every time, almost every time, I'm going to say, the end of the deal, the company is amazed with how seamless it was and how it really went against what they really thought it was going to be at first. And now these are companies that have, haven't worked with us before. And so it's like, well, okay, just spread the word, man. That's all I have to say is spread the word because it's not getting out. There is, it continues to be this historic and maybe in the past, back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, I don't know when, it, maybe it was that way. Because, yeah, a university is a bureaucracy. Yes, it is. But so is Dell. So is Intel, right? Every, there's bureaucracy everywhere. So let's just make this happen. Well, you'll get yourself on the list of those uh, tech transfer offices that are really high quality. And that, of course, makes it easier for you to do the, the deals um, I want to give you a bit of, more of a chance to shine a little bit. I want to drill down on a couple of things. When I've worked with tech transfer offices in the past, one of the key issues that they have at the front of the process is looking at the researchers' disclosures and attempting to make a decision as to which ones to invest in, because you can't patent all of them. You can't even patent half of them. How do you guys look at this? and attempt to make a decision as to this is really commercializable. We're going to go for it right now. This is a gray area and that's, sorry guys, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, exactly right. That is one of the biggest challenges that our office and all tech transfer offices have is what are we going to invest in? And so we, it, 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 there are two, there are two sides of this question, two, two questions to answer one patentability. That's usually a pretty easy question to answer because we can, we can do some research pretty quickly on some databases that are available to everybody 
to understand nobody's published on this or patented anything like this that we can see, right? We can't see everything. So we make that decision. It looks patentable, novel. The most important question is who in the marketplace is going to care, right? So again, if it came out of sponsored research, that helps, right? The company is already involved. If the faculty wants to form a startup around it, and we can talk to them and with Ashley and Van's help and others, get them focused on who's going to run the company. What are you going to need to do by when? Oh, blah, blah, blah. What kind of, what's your, how are you going to address this market need? What is the market need? If you can get around some of these issues, then we will support that company and, and license. First, first of all, structure an option to the company so that they have locked up the technology. We can't license it out from under them to give them some time to build their business plan and to get some initial funding before they have to execute the full on license. So we'll do that to support that. But then the, most of the, most of the deals uh, we're, we're searching for a potential company in the ether. Right. So, so that is, I think the, the, the focus of your question, how do you do that? Right. Relationships, people we know, people we can, be introduced to in markets that we that appear to be potential, right? And so it's a lot of uh, trial, error, and just touching base with people, bouncing ideas off of people, and a, a tiny bit of imagination. Why? Every technology is early stage. That's bad because, in one way, because it needs a lot of investment time energy, whatever. It's good in another way. There's many right answers for how this is going to be a product someday. Not just one. There's probably many different ways this could form up to be valuable product. So we have to put some thought into, hey, how could this actually be made into something cool that people would buy? And let's go talk to those companies. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about some of your successes. Tell me the biggest innovations that you've seen since you joined UT 13, 14 years ago. Okay. A couple of, couple of deals. Uh, there was a, a, a process out of the pharmacy school that was designed and patented to uh, an extrusion process that created a crush-proof coating for uh, pharmaceutical pills, right? So that made, that was licensed out to a big pharma company and created several million dollars of revenue over multiple years before those patents expired. If you go into the Walgreens or the Costco pharmacy or CVS, you can buy the Freestyle Libre continuous glucose monitor patch. That technology came from UT Austin. Patents are also expired now. Our patents are. There is a company on the NASDAQ right now called TFFP, uh, TFF Pharma. That company came from UT Austin Pharmacy School again a process for creating inhalable dry powder formulations of drugs that need to be delivered directly to the lungs because the challenge is typical drugs that you inject or take by a pill or whatever have to go through the bloodstream and therefore there are side effects, et cetera, before you get the working drug 